It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Another day, another big piece of news. The Buffalo Bills have re-signed right tackle Daryl Williams to a three-year contract. First reported by Ian Rappaport, so you know what that means. Reaction Podcast, this is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. As always, uh, I'm joined by Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino, and we got another guy ready to come into the party here. So let, let's get him on, Mr. John Scott TV. What's up, buddy? Hey, thanks for having me. I uh, just finished my story on the Matt Milano uh, reaction uh, that we heard on, you know, and then now Daryl Williams. So it's, uh, we're moving and shaking days before I think maybe we anticipated. Ryan, we were talking about Milano yesterday and how that all but seemed to close the door on a Daryl Williams uh, deal. And before we even get to free agency, Brandon Bean kind of works his magic once again. Daryl Williams will will be back. And I think this was always, you know, if you had asked a lot of fans when we went into And remember, we had this conversation with Mike Giardi right at the start of the offseason. Like, Milano or Daryl Williams, it's, it's probably got to be one because it probably can't be both. But it is both. And both guys seem to have taken... Um, maybe realized that the market might have been a more complicated than first thought of, even though where they sat in the, uh, the, you know, the rankings, if you will, but uh, instant reactions, Ryan, what do, what do you think? Well, j- just what a wild last few weeks this has been. We we've gone from neither player is going to come back. Milano's going to test the market. Daryl Williams going to be the number one right tackle on the market. Neither guy is going to come back to now, like you said, both of them have returned. So it's crazy because the bills have been up against the cap. They've obviously made some moves to adjust that, to, to make things a little bit better. Uh, but I don't think any any person anticipated going into this week that both Matt Milano and Daryl Williams would be returning to the Bills. John Scott, we uh, you know we were both in that Zoom meeting. I think it was the last one that he did. You put out a clip from it on your social media, and I think one of the first things I want to talk about is what I think. And I know it gets so overblown the culture, the culture talking about it. But this is one of those things where depending on how things sh- shake out. And I'm not so sure if you know the, the the two offensive linemen, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, getting cut yesterday. If maybe that had anything to do with the uh, the quickness of this deal that came that came through, because Daryl Williams maybe notched down a little bit. But I think this goes to show that Daryl Williams wanted to be in Buffalo. He was comfortable in Buffalo, and maybe you know 9.2 average per season. About um, maybe he could have got more than that, but that that is a kind of a friendly deal considering where he was kind of scheduled to be in the pecking order. Right. We didn't hear from Daryl Williams a whole lot. You know, it's not particularly unusual. There's only a few offensive linemen, Deion Dawkins and sometimes Mitch Morris are the ones, you know, center guard are usually the ones you hear from the most. When we heard from Daryl mid to late December, he was really honest. And it was about the struggles and doubt that he had in himself after injuries and playing out of position in Carolina 
And the Bills took a chance on him, and they slid him back to right tackle, which Brandon Bean even admitted is not where he originally, when they made the signing a year ago, expected him to slot in. They had him more in at guard, so he plays right tackle, and he said, I was lost. It was it was the most doubt I'd ever had and the worst I'd ever played in my entire football career, dating all the way back, high school, college, and he was an all-pro at one point here in the NFL, and he just felt comfortable with the Bills. Deion Dawkins had reached out to him nearly immediately after the signing. Everything was virtual, but he just still felt a part of it. And clearly he blossomed with his play on the field. Bobby Johnson probably has a lot to do with that. We've heard rave reviews about him and the way guys gravitate to the way he handles business as a coach. And yeah, I, I don't think he necessarily took a home hometown discount to want to stay with the Bills. I mean, you're making $9 million as mm. a tackle coming off a bounce-back season. But I do think it, it, it was something to where, hey, I'm comfortable with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. I have a history with them. I really developed some great chemistry with the coaching staff and the other guys in the room. And, yeah, let's run it back. And I think that as a general thing is what we're seeing with these some of these pay cuts and restructures as well is guys see what this team has, sees they see how close this team was, and they think if they run it back with primarily what they had just a year ago, they can get over that hump and get to the Super Bowl. You know, Ryan, we're looking at some of the financials here now, um, kind of combing through it. Uh, three-year deal worth $28.2 million. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what comes out in terms of this year's cap hit because we saw with Milano at that average $11 million, it ended up winding up at $8 million according to SpotTrack.com, so $3 million less in 2021, which is so important as Brandon Bean tries to navigate all of this. It's also been reported that uh, additionally, in addition to Matt, uh, Mitch Morse and Vernon Butler, Mario Addison has taken a pay cut. Uh, some of the details here are a little bit sketchy, though. We know M Mitch Morse took a $3 million pay cut. We don't know the numbers on Butler and Addison quite yet. So we're probably working with a range. We were talking about it before we started. As of now, maybe twelve to $17 million, depending on how much those pay cuts were. How much does this deal, getting it done with Daryl Williams, hamstring Brandon Bean now? And I'll open it up to Ryan and then and then John about next week and, and trying to add maybe another big-time player on defense? It's a great question. You, you know, until we have those specific financials, I don't think we do know how hamstrung he is. Obviously, you, you get the idea, though, that the Bills aren't going to be necessarily major players on those top free agents, especially after re-signing Milano and Daryl Williams. We've talked for weeks now about how the Bills – probably have the money to go out after one player at that 10 to $12 million range. Well, you know, you get Milano and you get Daryl Williams back. That's probably out the window now. And that's why maybe that report about Danico Autry makes more sense. Now that second, third tier free agent edge rusher, and it might be another prove it type cornerback now. So I, I think it hamstrings them to a certain extent in terms of going after the, the premier players, but where the bills ever going to be in that race to get those premier players. I'm not so sure because the Carlos Dunlaps, it, uh, they're more realistic. The Carl Lawsons, however, there's going to be a bidding war for those types of players. The Janu Smith, there's going to be bidding wars for that type of player. So I don't see Brendan Bean being in there saying, you know, what's the highest offer? We're going to match. We're going to top it. He seems to go in with a set price point for these players in free agency, uh, in negotiations, and he doesn't waver from it. So he's going to have a game plan, but I just don't think you're going to see the Bills being big spenders next week. 
I think this also is an indication of their faith they have in AJ Epinesa, faith they have also in Daryl Johnson, maybe even Mike Love. Some of these guys that are have been buried on the roster and haven't had the opportunities. And if you don't release a guy like Mario Addison and you just strictly restructure him, that's another guy in the rotation. So yes, they lost Trent Murphy, but he was inactive for most of the year. Now you're looking at Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, AJ Epinesa, Daryl Johnson, Mike Love, Brian Cox Jr. Maybe. I mean, you're looking at five, six guys right there. Does that mean they couldn't benefit from adding someone like Dunlap or Yannick and Dockway or, or any of the plethora of, of really highly known and, and at least previously productive edge rushers. No, they could certainly use, you can never have enough pass rushers in this league, but maybe they didn't think that it was as necessary. Obviously going for JJ Watt, that's an exception here. And that's before they knew the cap numbers and things like that. So I though still am not out of the woods thinking he's going to go after one of those guys, but maybe the market is going to dictate the price tag is not what we thought. Now that we know exactly what the cap is. And now that the market itself is a lot more saturated with guys that maybe around that 30 and above range. And at that age, maybe those are the guys on a one-year deal you can get on more of a discount as they see where the bills are as a team and they may go ring chasing. There's so, to your point, John, there's so many names as you look at the edge rusher class. I mean, just taking a look at Mike Clay's uh, cheat sheet. And if you haven't seen it on Twitter, I highly recommend getting it downloaded to your PC or on your, on your on your smartphone. I mean, Shaq Barrett from Tampa, Jadavian Clowney, who Bills fans that have watched this podcast know my thoughts on him. Yannick Ngakwe, Carl Lawson, Bud Dupree, Leonard Floyd, Melvin Ingram, Carlos Dunlap, Reddix, Alden Smith, Judon, Hendrickson, Vernier, Takaris McKinley, Romeo Aquara. You go down the list. I mean, there's like 12 guys right there. All 12 of those guys are not getting the kind of dollars in this economy that I think most years – they probably would command. So I think to your point, it's a great one. There's probably going to be one in a handful that says, okay, I could take a pay cut and go play for a team that's just blah, or I can maybe take a, a million or two less, or maybe even three million less, go to a good system and and kind of excel this year, kind of recharge my uh, value going into a huge 2022. And you can use Daryl Williams as the example. If you're Brendan Bean and you're pitching that to someone, say, you know, you're, you're not trying to uh, set reset your stock by any means, but hey, the market's not there this year. Look at what happened for a guy like Daryl Williams in our, in our system. One year, comes in, plays well. We, we rewarded him. We paid him. If you come here, we're going to be a contender. You can possibly win a Super Bowl. And then next year when the cap goes up across the league, not only may we pursue you, but there's going to be other teams that are going to give you that money that you think you're worth. So absolutely a valid point. Uh, not all 12 of those guys are going to get the kind of money that they're probably anticipating or that their agents are hoping that they're going to get here next week. Ryan, you said that you, sorry, I was go, doing some uh, housekeeping here, trying to share it out yeah. uh, in the, uh, the different rooms. Uh, you had a question for us. Drop it. Yeah. So what does Daryl Williams re-signing today mean for the rest of the offensive line? Because I think a week ago, a few days ago, we, we probably all have been in agreement that John Feliciano was going to be the offensive lineman most likely re to return. So he's out there. Ike Butker is a restricted free agent. We know that this probably means that Cody Ford is a guard. Uh, I think that you can feel comfortable saying that. Hopefully left guard. I think he played more comfortably there, looked better there. But what does this mean for, to you guys now for this offensive line going forward? 
I'll start. Uh, I think it definitively means Cody Ford is a guard. I, I mean, you got Dion off his fresh big money deal. You knew he wasn't moving, and, and they clearly believe Daryl Williams uh, is the answer at right tackle. So that means Ford isn't at guard, and I think this is a big year for him because, as Brandon Bean pointed out at the end of the season when he last spoke, was Cody has not been healthy really the majority of his first two seasons. He, he had a shoulder, I believe it was injury, his rookie season that Bean said he should have been shut down, but Ford insisted on playing through. That hampered him. And then now he was at the end of the year uh, with another injury this past season. So he needs to stay healthy. And I'll be interested in seeing how he performs knowing exactly where he's going to play now because he still was dabbling at right tackle a year ago in camp, and they finally got back together. Now he knows where the guard is. I also think it shows that they are comfortable if they have to go, whether it's re-signing someone like Ike Bucker or, or with maybe some of the options that they have on the roster right now or what they think they could potentially get as a stopgap uh, to play guard you know, if, if things don't work out, you know, in the draft as well, gate or uh, Ryan Bates also could be someone that could play uh, at the guard position as well. So I think that's where it says, uh, but unfortunately, unless John Feliciano takes what would I assume be less than his market value, I think this closes the door on his return, which is unfortunate because I know we all like him as a guy just in general. Uh, and certainly it was, no secret the kind of juice that he brought to the offensive line with with his attitude and uh, personality. Here's something I'll t- I'll say about John Feliciano too. Diving into that, and I'll piggyback off your point. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you know I really think that this illuminates the uh, unfortunate circumstances that you know John Feliciano likely is not going to be brought back because there's so many elements to this, like. Not only the piece of it that, you know, his versatility, the fact that maybe teams around the league do want to maybe try him out at center. And obviously that might put you in a different type of, you know, pay scale and ability to kind of command more dollars. But one of the biggest concerns I have about not bringing back John Feliciano in the mix. And listen, Daryl Williams was super important about bringing bringing him back. And he's well-liked in that room. You even saw John. On, this, on the eve of his own free agency, tweet out that, listen, he deserved to get paid. I mean, he had a great year. So I think Daryl Williams is a big piece of what they're trying to build there. The problem is we saw earlier in the season when John Feliciano was in the lineup, they it seemed like this group was missing something. And you talked to Bobby Johnson about it, and I've had a couple conversations throughout the years with him about John, and he told him back in, in Oakland, listen, if I ever get a, a head offensive line coach, I'm going to pound the table to get John Feliciano on my team. So you did that, you brought him in, and you saw the impact that he had on guys around him to the point where Deion Dawkins said, remember that that press conference, man is a bougie, ratchet, savage. And like, you know, he brings <laughs> he brings that mentality to the line. And and I'm concerned that unless you've maybe earmarked somebody in free agency that might be more affordable, like the next version of John Feliciano, if you will, to kind of bring that mentality in the room and, you know, have that unselfishness to play different spots because that's important as well. What are you going to do? Are you going to draft somebody like that, that you, you maybe you, you, you kind of find it in, in the draft crop? Because I think one of the things that set John apart was that he went through four years in the league. He had that confidence to go into a room, a very veteran-laden room, as Mitch Morse came in and, and uh, Spencer Long at the time, and kind of 
leave that mark and, and make that kind of statement. Now, looking ahead, who's going to pick up the mantle there? Because I, I don't know about you, John, but my interactions with Ryan Bates and Ike Bucker, why I like both of them a ton, and I, I really think the Bills will be in good hands if both of those guys on their line, they don't seem to have that kind of mentality. Well, not many do, and that's what I think makes John Feliciano as valuable as he is. The other thing that made him valuable was his ability to play center, and Mitch Morse restructuring or taking a pay cut also closed the door a step uh, in regards to bringing Feliciano back as well. I, I agree in regards to having that nastiness previously before John, it was Richie Incognito who brought that to the Bills offensive line. So, so there is maybe an element to that, but also maybe things are evolving. Maybe it's a skill set. Maybe it's all right. We think we need to get more athletic. We think we need to get younger or, or we weren't as good as a run blocking team. So maybe there's a better fit for a lesser cost. Uh, at the guard position to do that. Maybe maybe it was more of a mix and match and not necessarily a personality issue as they evaluate some of you know, the deficiencies that the line had, which they were very good in pass protection, but I don't, I'm in the camp that I don't put it all on Zach Moss and Devin Singletary as the reason why the Bills were completely inept at running the football the majority of the season. I think it was a collective effort, and I'm not pinning it by any means on John Feliciano, but maybe they view things and say, all right, with this combination of putting a healthy Cody Ford back in and with whatever type of player at the other guard position, maybe we could just be better all around and more versatile uh, as an offensive front. Yeah, I, I think you both made really good points. In terms of the mentality standpoint, you know, I'm not saying that's why the defensive line took a step back this past season, but Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson both brought that edge to the defensive line last year. We, Like you guys said, John Feliciano, before that, Richie Incognito, what could happen there? But to John's point, maybe it is. Let's get younger. There's some really good center guard players in this year's draft. There's Quinn Meaners. There's Creed Humphrey. Just two names that jump off the page right there that could be day two options if the Bills want uh, that insurance in 2021 for Mitch Morris. In case he goes out, you, you could pursue them and then say, this is our heir apparent at that position or at one of those positions. You can get better in that way, and you're paying someone on a rookie deal. Uh, the, the Bills have to get smart about this now because now you're paying your your two bookends, your, your two tackles, big money, even if it's short-term because, as we saw with the Matt Milano deal, that four-year deal could actually be a two-year deal. This Daryl Williams deal could end up being a one- or two-year deal. We don't, we don't know the outs just yet. Uh, but for right now, they're paying a lot of money at three positions, including Morse, when you really think about it. So they have to be smart about that. So going young in the draft is certainly an option. Uh, you know, looking through the comments here, a lot of comments about that. But then we have some other uh, options. Some people are wondering about Gabe Jackson. Do you think a free agent's in play? Mm -hmm. Someone that could come in, knows Bobby Johnson, maybe may not break the bank, although I think he's still a very good guard personally. And then I think somebody also mentioned Trey Turner, who was just released by the Chargers, his Carolina connections. You always kind of consider that as well. And I think, yeah, John, I, I like your thoughts on it, but I think any of that's still in play. I think it comes down to dollars and cents. I mean, if John thinks that he can get a certain number on the on the market and that's what ends up hampering a potential deal, well, then that's going to kind of be the bar. And you're going to have to get guys under that bar if you're going to even be able to negotiate. Because I think – Listen, I, I think that there's still work that can be done. I mean, Tyler Matikevich can add some some dollars. Um, Lee, um, Lee Smith, when he's finally released, if that's the case, that can add some dollars. I still think there's restructure possibilities. We're talking to Mike Gennetti, and he's not a big fan 
of the Jerry Hughes restructure. But I think if you still think he might have two years of really good football left and you can just push that into two years from now, next year and the year after and make that 2023 the year that you can get get out of, I think it, it makes some sense. And I still think there's money if you want to reduce Stephon Diggs' deal, who obviously I think is underpaid and probably needs a raise moving forward in the future anyway. And I'm going to throw even Cole Beasley into the mix, extend him, move his salary cap around. You're talking about an all pro slot receiver, someone that uh, has been a safety valve for Josh Allen has played a big role in his development in year two and year three. So there are definitely options out there for the bills where you can restructure, you can extend, you can move money around. And obviously if anyone, you know, can do it, it's Brendan Bean. He has been great with the cap since day one. He came in, he looked at what the previous regime did and said, we have to pretty much blow this thing up to get back to square one. So I, I do think that that's in play. What do you think, John? I think this, this is what makes this particular offseason likely unlikely anything we've seen before in the NFL. When I talked to Michael Gennetti of Spot Track, he, he kind of likened it to maybe what we've seen out of the NBA, where some of these guys like a Carmelo or, or now Blake Griffin or things like that, they're going to teams as a contender and saying, I'm not going to take the money. I, I want to go to a contender. Also, I think with the cap where it is now, you may see certain positions get paid, the premium ones, you know, whether it's wide receiver, whether it's edge rusher, uh, some of these premium positions. Guard is not a premium position. It's not usually a position you see a lot of money sunk into. So maybe with the way teams view how they have to budget their money, the guard position could be one where the dollars and cents really fall and some of these names that are being thrown out and maybe even – John Feliciano, they say, all right, I, I, I cannot get $8 million. I can't get 10 I can't get 7 I can get 3 for one year. Cap shoots all the way back up. I perform. I'm still maybe, what, 30 or something or younger. That's when next year I can get 8 to 10 if I perform once again. That may be how this shakes out. It also may be how we see – Maybe free agency is a little more elongated as opposed to this complete tidal wave on Wednesday. Maybe you see the market take a little longer, a week to 10 days, so not only players but teams kind of feel their way through how the money is going to go, how other teams are operating, and how they're prioritizing spending their money. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Matt, you mentioned Lee Smith as someone that could be caught. He's he's pondered retirement. He's thinking about it. And usually when you're thinking about it, that's your, your first step toward retirement. So we have a, a question here in the comments. Uh, hey, guys, who are some under the radar tight ends the Bills could go after? I'll open that up to you guys. Hmm. You know, I know everybody is in love with the idea of John U. Smith. But even before these two deals, John, I was a little bit hesitant. Um. I think sometimes people see some level of production and, and and I think miss the mark on projecting what they can do elsewhere. And I really think not enough people are taking into account the situation that he would be landing in. And listen, I mentioned in the last show, I really respect Matt Bowen at ESPN. The guy watches hours and hours and days and months of film. And so I'll, I'll usually just kind of say, Hey, he knows, he knows what he's talking about. He thinks Johnny Smith would be a fit sold. The problem is if you're around this team and you know when the things were going wrong 
deep in the season, right? You think about the early in the Pittsburgh game and some other moments in the game. What do they do? They turn to Stephon Diggs. Josh Allen told him to get, to get open, and he got the lion's share of the targets. And I think that that's going to be the case. Now, could a talented tight end come in here and, and maybe steal some of those targets away? Sure, of course. But at what cost? So to your question, Ryan, listen, I like the idea of a, a high upside guy with size like a Dan Arnold. I think that's interesting. Anthony Ferkshire from Tennessee as well, a guy that almost is in the Johnu Smith rookie year, second year role in Tennessee where he was kind of behind um, Delonte Walker. Uh, he's somebody that you could probably get on, on a, a really low contract. I'm sure that there's plenty of guys. I would, I would, I would kind of emphasize traits though, because they went and got a guy in Tyler Croft who I think was limited in terms of athleticism and what he can do as term in terms of a pass catcher. I would like to see them get somebody that can factor more into the passing game. Maybe they should have kept Logan Thomas. <laughs> right. I, I to me, listen, I know it it was a hot button comment when Brandon Bean says, listen, I didn't think that any team was scared of our tight ends. Okay, but also let's look at your offense as a whole here. I mean, the passing game, it did put fear with about four to five mm -hmm. wide receivers that, that could do things. And yes, when you look at a roster and you evaluate it, you want everything to be the best, right? And especially when you're coming off the heels of Travis Kelsey cooking you in the AFC Championship game. But there's only one Travis Kelsey. He's arguably the best tight end in the league right now. The way things are going, he's probably a Hall of Famer, maybe a first ballot. You're just not going to get a Travis Kelsey here. And again, when you look at the, the pie here, how do you how much do you want to cut out a slice for the tight end position? And how really important is it for there? It's it's a similar argument to saying running back here. I mean, I mean, I in my opinion, if I look at the Bills roster again, I, I'm gonna go back to I think their pass rush needs to improve. So I don't I don't want to pay someone like Johnny Smith eight. I'd rather pay, you know, your budgeted let's say eight and then you give another eight, and then to give me a pass rusher or something like that. If you're going to go with tight ends, I, I do think they're going to address it. Maybe a guy, Trey Burton, wasn't too long ago. He was a hot mm. uh, free agent when he uh, you know, was in the Super Bowl with the Eagles, and the Colts just had a ton of tight ends, and he had some injury issues, and but he, he was somewhat effective there. I, I don't think tight end is a position to make a big splash, but I do think, again, just sheer numbers-wise, you have Dawson Knox, you don't know what's going to happen with Tommy Sweeney coming off his heart issues with COVID. Lee Smith, whether it's a release or retires, you lose Tyler Croft through free agency and you have Nate Becker on the practice squad. So I think this is going to be addressed maybe in the draft and free agency, but I don't think a guy like a Hunter Henry or Johnny Smith is going to be in the fold, and, and I don't think that would be smart anyways. Yeah, I think the only way you're going to get a, a premier guy is if you traded for a Zach Ertz. And, and I don't even know if he's premier guy anymore. He's not in that same tier as Kelsey by any means at this point, but it wasn't that long ago that he was considered one of the best in the game. Uh, I, I like the Dan Arnold. I, I like the Trey Burton. Uh, it really depends on what they're looking for. And like you guys said, this offense was humming along with the wide receivers being the focal point. So you don't need to go out there and get an elite pass catcher. Uh, you might want someone that's more of an all-around player. You might want a veteran. Brendan Bean has talked about the importance of having a veteran in every room, having a veteran in the wide receiver room. And, and if Lee Smith walks away, you don't have that veteran presence anymore at tight end. So Kyle Rudolph's a name that we've mentioned multiple times on this show. It depends on what he ends up wanting, but hard to find a better tight end in the red zone. 
Uh, very reliable, good hands, a guy that can get open there. He's not going to wow you with athleticism anymore, though. He can block. It wasn't what he wanted to do the last few years, especially with them trying to develop Irv Smith, but he can block. He can. He has that all-around game. So it, it depends on what the Bills want. want in their next tight end. Is it the veteran presence? Is it someone that can contribute, change up your personnel a little bit? It, it's going to be interesting to see, but th- it will be addressed Probably not, though, with those upper echelon tight ends that are hitting the market. Um, we'll get you out of here in a minute here. But while I have you, you know, some some AFC East news today. We might as well react to that because I threw out a little hot take this morning and had uh, my mentions get real fired up real quick. And I get it, Bill's Mafia. You know, everybody that watched Cam Newton last year is really excited about the idea of him coming back. But don't let your biases creep in too much. Listen, I think – there were issues with Cam Newton last year, plenty of issues, but I think that there were also some circumstances that potentially keyword potentially played into all of that. Now, am I saying that Cam Newton's going to come back on a full off season and be the Cam Newton from his MVP season? Of course not. But I, I, I'm hesitant to just say Cam Newton, Josh McDaniels, Bill Belichick, nah, they won't figure it out. We're fine. Uh, from a bill's perspective, what are your thoughts there? And how does, how much of a surprise was that? Because I, from reading the, you know, the, the beat reporters out there, it seemed like they were on course to move on from Cam. For me, I was, I was more shocked at the dollar amount than the actual he him returning to the Patriots. I mean, $14 million. Mm. My only assumption is they gauged the market said, Hey, we have a ton of cap space. We got, we got to spend it. And on a one-year deal, who really cares? We would rather roll the dice with Cam, who's already been in the system for a year, than bringing in Fitz or maybe Trubisky or whatever other you know guy on the streets that could come in to fill a stopgap and assume that they'll probably bring in a, a rookie maybe as early as the first round uh, and try to groom them to be the successor ultimately down the line. Now, as for Cam... He wasn't that bad the first couple games of the season to the point where people thought, whoa, Cam is back. Mm. Then COVID hit, and he just was not the same guy. And let's be real, who on the Patriots offense with skill player-wise is he really throwing the ball to? It's an excuse we used for Josh Allen in 2018. I, I don't think it's completely unfair to use that for Cam Newton in 2020. Do I think Cam is great? No, I, I, I personally, I'm not that big of a fan. I respect what he's accomplished in the league. I don't think he's a huge difference maker, but he wasn't the trash that everyone seems to think that he was. $14 million, is he didn't play like a $14 million quarterback, even though that's cheap nowadays for a starter. But I, I don't think that it was some absolutely egregious move and that he was – wholeheartedly the reason that their offense was just was just pretty much ineffective throughout the season it was a collective effort um do i think this vaults the patriots into contention in the division no i I don't think so at all i think it may be a best case scenario for the bills in regards to how they're going to resolve the quarterback situation short term in new england uh and all eyes i think will go to the draft and who they select and how they get there uh, and that's where your eyes are going to have to go moving forward. 
Ryan, there's a really nice glow on you today. So sunshine and an Olean. <laughs> it is. John, John looks like he's in a dark little basement. He's still setting right. up the new studio over there. What's well, going hold on? on. I mean, I could, I can. Oh God, I can't get it. You know, the sun was, <laughs> the sun was shining before, and now in Hamburg, all it is is the wind is blowing relentlessly. This, I, this may be something that's common as someone who's only lived here for a month. Um, I don't know, but my goodness, I feel like I'm in Chicago with the amount of wind that we seem to get here in Hamburg. Yeah, this is... It's windy. Windy day today. We had our send-off for uh, the St. Bonaventure basketball team in our area, and a lot of people were outside for that, and, and signs were blown around. People couldn't uh, hold on to them, so very windy day today. It, it does feel like that around here as well. Um, all right, let's get out of here. Uh, I got some stuff to write here on Mr. Darrow Williams. Uh, John Scott... So uh, gracious with his time. Find him at John Scott TV on Twitter, uh, Spectrum Sports, Bill's uh, beat reporter and reporter extraordinaire. Uh, catch him every Thursday night on Facebook at 630 over on the Spectrum Sport, uh, Buffalo Facebook page. They do a great job, him and uh, Kevin Carroll. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. Hang on to your butts. We might be back any minute now. <laughs>